Thanks, Pastor Dan. My name is Dave, and it's great to be with you again this week as we continue our trip through the New Testament book of Romans this morning. And today we're going to continue to talk about how the gospel literally changes and transforms our lives. Last week, you'll remember that we did a little bit of a flyover of chapters one and two, and then we landed on what has been called perhaps the most important paragraph ever written. That's Romans chapter three, verses 20 to 25. And and today we're going to look at another hallmark set of verses in the book of Romans. Romans chapter five, verses one through five. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it, pull it out. Turn to Romans 5. There's a lot in these verses, only five verses. They are jam-packed, so we're going to get going right away today. Here we go. Verse 1, Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. I'm going to go ahead and stop us right there, right away. Paul begins this passage by referring back to what we talked about last week. He's talking about how through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been justified. We have been declared right with God. And now Paul is going to say, because of that, because of our justification, because we've been redeemed, because we're right with our Heavenly Father, there are some implications. There are some results of that. There are some benefits, if you will, that flow out of our justification. We don't just get justified by God, get our ticket to heaven, and then sort of muddle through. No, that justification has impact to change and transform us. We're going to talk about that today, and we're going to talk specifically about five benefits of the transforming power of being justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Five benefits. Here we go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our first benefit, the first benefit of justification. It's peace with God. Now, quite often in our world when we talk about peace, we talk about a feeling. Peace for us is a feeling. It's a temporary, momentary, sort of emotional experience. We sing songs like, I got a peaceful easy feeling. Go ahead and sing along with me. No, don't do that. It's awkward in your living room. It's actually awkward even here, but if you're new to our church, you should know this. I love to sing. Sometimes it gets weird. Pastor James will not put me on the worship team, but that's okay. Um, The point is this. When Paul says that we have been given peace with God, he is not talking about a peaceful feeling. Sometimes a peaceful feeling is the result of our peace with God, but our peace with God is not a feeling. It's a new relational reality. He's saying there used to be something between you and God. You used to have a beef. There used to be animosity and tension and strife between you. In fact, in the latter half of this section, Paul actually says that we were enemies of God. That the thing between us had gotten so bad, was, it was so dividing that we were like enemies. But now that's gone. Now there is peace. Now there's harmony between us. And I bring this up because sometimes we don't feel like there's peace. Sometimes I don't feel this, this peace between God and myself. And, and a lot of Christians will say, you know, you can't trust your feelings Don't trust your feelings because they'll just deceive you. Never trust your feelings. But feelings were given to us for a reason. 
They're there as an indicator. They, they tell us when things are right. They help us sense when things are wrong. And so here's, I think, a better question to ask. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you don't feel peace with God, ask this. Why are my feelings and what God's word says to be true not aligned? Why aren't they the same? Dig into that question. Try and figure that out. Explore that and try to work to align your feelings with the truth. That's what should happen. I remember when my oldest daughter was about six years old, we went to Knott's Berry Farm down in California. You ever been to Knott's Berry, James? Yeah. You were super scared the whole time? There's a lot of big rides. But there's one in particular for me. It was appropriately named Extreme Scream. First indication that I shouldn't get on it. But my six-year-old daughter was like, Dad, I want to ride Extreme Scream. This is what Extreme Scream was. It's this giant tower, and there's some cars, like some like seats that are strapped onto the side of this giant tower. You get in there, you sit in these little flimsy, dinky seats, your feet are just dangling in midair, and they crank you straight up the side of this tower into the sky. And then, yeah, don't do it. I, I shouldn't have. Because you get to the very top and then it like stops, like the, the cranking up thing stops. It's like, Dush! and you know they're about to like shoot you straight down. But they pause it for a little while. Just for enough time for you to notice that low flying aircraft are beneath you. That's how high you are. And I'm telling you, when I'm up there, I did not feel safe. All my emotions were saying, you aren't safe, you're about to die. Meanwhile, by the way, my six-year-old daughter is giggling and happy and like, dad, isn't this the greatest? And I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. You know, it's just the worst. One of those moments where you realize you're not as tough as you'd like to think that you are. Anyway, I had to work in that moment to align my feelings with what I knew to be true that really smart engineers had worked diligently to design and build this ride, that thousands and thousands of people had ridden this ride before me and they got on and then got off again perfectly healthy and okay. I had to align my feelings with what I knew to be true. And that's what Paul is calling us to do here. He's saying, if you have been justified by Jesus Christ, you have peace with God, fact, Fact, now, let your feelings follow that truth. And so let me ask you today, how do you feel when you approach God? How do you feel about your relationship? How do you feel about the way he thinks of you? Do you feel like he generally disapproves of you? Like you need to negotiate with him for things? Like maybe he's not really listening to you or that he's not all that concerned about what's happening in your life? Or, or do you come with the very distinct awareness that he is a tender father who couldn't love you any more than he already does? Friends, our peace with God was secured by the Prince of Peace. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore and there is nothing you will ever do to make, you love, to make him love you any less because you are at peace. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. If our first benefit is peace with God, the second benefit of our justification is standing in grace. 
Paul, first of all, says that we have access by faith into this grace. And he speaks of grace as if it's this place we go, like it's a venue that we're now permitted to enter, that we have access to because of our ticket, because of the access pass of faith. A few years ago, Paul Simon came to town for a concert. Any Paul Simon fans? Not really? Really? Graceland? Me and Julio down by the schoolyard? Diamonds on the soles of her shoes? Oh, man. You can call me Al? Nothing. There we go. There it is. Yeah, with Chevy Chase. Good job. Pastor Ashley, she's, she's in on the message now. Anyway, Paul's on his farewell tour. This is his last time touring. And some of you might know this, but Paul is married to Edie Brickell. And Edie Brickell was also a singer. She had a, a one hit in her whole, whole life, I think. You know, I'm not aware of too many things. This is the singing sermon. I know what I know, if you know what I mean. You remember that, Edie Brickell? Okay, doesn't matter. Edie Brickell, married to Paul Simon. My sister-in-law is Facebook friends with Edie Brickell. And so because of that, we got free tickets to the Paul Simon concert and really good seats, I might add. Because of who we knew, we got access to the concert. And Paul says here, because we know Jesus, because we've trusted him and been justified by God, we now have access to grace in which we stand. And that word stand is is a Greek word that means to abide, to be firmly set, to be fixed and grounded. It's one of Paul's favorite words. He uses it throughout the New Testament. And what he's saying here is this. You can now have confidence in your relationship with God because you stand on grace. You stand on grace. In other words, you don't need to be afraid that you're gonna mess up up or blow it in this relationship with him, that you and God are good right now, but that you're going to ruin it at some point. This is not like that relationship you had in college with that boyfriend or girlfriend where you were like dating and then you were broken up, where you loved each other and then you hated each other and it was back and forth and back and forth. No, that is not how your relationship with God goes. You have been invited into the grace zone. God brought you into relationship with him through an undeserved gift that he offered you through his son and he keeps you in that relationship with him by that same grace, by the same undeserved gift. You are standing in grace. If you have been justified, then you are standing in grace. That's the status of your relationship. It never changes. And next Paul says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I like it when the Bible talks about boasting, but it's not what you think. It's not an arrogant boasting. It's sometimes translated that same word, rejoice, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And the reason those two words, they don't seem like they're the same, right? Some say boast, some say rejoice. Here's what it is. It's a confident joy. There's this confident, this unmovable, unshakable joy, and we'll come back to that. But for now, I want to talk about another word. I want to talk about the word hope, because the next benefit of being justified through faith in Christ is confident hope. We have confident hope in the glory of God. And here's where we have to understand something that's real key. What the Bible says when it talks about hope, is not the same thing that we often think of or how we use the word hope in our world. In our world, when we hope, 
We hope for things or we hope that things. It's sort of like wishing for something or it's optimism or it's positivity. I hope that we have ice cream after dinner tonight. That's a big hope of my kids a lot. I hope that he says yes to my request. I hope that this sermon goes well today. We will see. I hope, you know, that so-and-so does such and such. We have hope that the cancer will go into remission. You see, we use hope as a way of saying, this is what we really want to happen. But biblical hope is way more than that. Biblical hope is a future certainty that transforms our current reality. I'll say that again. Biblical hope is a future certainty that transforms our current reality. And Paul says here that we have confidence in the hope of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? The glory of God is about weight. It's about impact. So Paul is saying this. He's saying the weight of God in our lives, the impact of God's grace, The weight of the fact that we are now made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ for all eternity has the power to transform how we go through life and how we face even the most difficult things in our world. We can hope in the weight of God and the impact and the strength of who he is and what he's done. Verse five says, hope does not put us to shame. And in that little phrase, is a word picture of someone who has been ashamed because something or someone they trusted in failed them. The image I have, and maybe this has happened to you, it has happened to me in front of a large group of people, is you go to sit in a chair fully believing and and trusting that the chair is going to hold your weight. But when you sit on said chair, the chair collapses, it breaks, and then you fall straight to the ground in front of lots of people. And you're ashamed you're embarrassed Paul says that will never happen to you when you put your hope in God hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us and yes I skipped verses three and four we'll come back to them but for now our next benefit of justification is God's Love now. God's love now. And now is a key word. Because what Paul is telling us here is that God's love isn't just something that we will experience when we get to heaven someday. That when we, when we die and we go to be with him, then his love is going to be poured all over us and we're going to be just en- enveloped in it. No, that's true. That is, that is the case. But he's saying that you can experience his love Now, he's saying there's a foretaste of the feast to come. And that foretaste is the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in this series, specifically when we get to Romans chapter 8. It's a huge part. He's a huge part of the transformed life. But today, I want to focus on this. Because Paul says, you can experience the love of God through the Holy Spirit Spirit, right now in your life. He is in a sense, the engagement ring of the marriage. The first installment of a giant love payment. A giant love payment is coming your way, Pastor Luke, and there's just a little installment right now poured out into your heart. It's the Holy Spirit, a little bit of taste of God's love, just a little taste of the huge, enormous amount that you're gonna get someday when you're glorified with him in heaven, but you can experience it now. 
The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of what's coming for you and me. Friends, when you have by faith received the justification of God, you now have access to experience God's love in your life all the time. The Holy Spirit wants to remind you how indeed loved you are all the time. And so let me ask you, friends, are you experiencing this love from your Heavenly Father? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit who is constantly and continuously whispering in your mind and heart, you are beloved, you are dear, you are precious to your God because this world and the forces of the enemy at work in this world wanna tell you the exact opposite. They wanna tear you down. They wanna tell you that you're nothing and God is longing to tell you that those are lies and that you are loved by him. Are you listening Do you hear the Spirit's voice? And now finally, let's go back to verse three. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. Friends, these are some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I say that about a lot of verses, but these verses I memorized when I was in college. This is one of my very first memory verses after I regave my life to Christ when I was a, a sophomore in college. And, and, and one of my favorite verses of all time says this, that one of the benefits, one of the benefits of being justified through faith in Jesus Christ to God, by God, is this. There is joy in suffering. You can have joy in suffering. This may, may be, by the way, the primary benefit that Paul is driving at in this section. He says a lot of stuff in here, but really all of those other things are pointing for him towards this one last benefit, that you can be people of joy in all circumstances through anything, but specifically here, he says, in suffering. John Stott, in his commentary on the book of Romans, says, it seems clear from this paragraph that the main mark of justified believers is joy. Let that settle in on your mind right now. The main mark of justified believers is joy. Wow. And of course we have to say joy is different than happiness. This is not a call to go around being sort of plasticky and happy and just sort of of like everything's great and optimistic all the time. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a deep, confident joy that resides deep in your soul no matter what's happening around you. See, happiness is based on happenings, on the circumstances around you being a certain way. Happiness is often achieved by getting control of your life so that you can keep your circumstances favorable. That's what everyone in our world is trying to do. They're trying to create favorable circumstances in their life constantly so that they can be happy. But Christian joy is different. Christian joy is not based on happenings. It's not based on circumstances at all. In fact, It's so much this way that Paul says here, rejoice, we can have joy in our sufferings. When circumstances aren't favorable, when things have fallen apart. Friends, the problem though is this. Our confidence, even as followers of Jesus, even as followers of Jesus, our confidence, our hope is sometimes founded and rooted not in God, but actually in the things of this world. We're actually 
trying to substitute happiness for joy. We're trying to look to our circumstances and the situations in our life to produce happiness and then we're trying to pull that in and pretend like we have joy, but it does not work. A lot of ways we look for happiness, a lot of ways we look to sort of engineer our circumstances so that we can feel happy for a season or a time or a moment. Relationships. We look to people to bring us happiness. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe it's a mom or a dad or a child or a family or some friends, a group of friends. Maybe that is where you think you will find happiness and you will for a, for a season, maybe for a short time, but it's not joy because it will not last. Maybe it's success. Maybe you think, if I can only get all A's, if I can only get into this school, if I can only get this job, if I can only achieve this position, then, then I'll be happy. And then you get there and maybe you're happy for a while, but eventually it all falls apart. Maybe, friends, maybe it's health. You know, our culture says this, cling to your health with everything you have. In fact, fight, fight like the Dickens to stay as young as you can for as long as you can. Do whatever you need to do. Inject these things here, there, or anywhere so that you can stay young. And by the way, health is a real good thing. I just had a hip replacement. I feel more healthy. It's a good thing. It's not bad, but it's not the only thing. It's not the best thing, and it will not last forever. Maybe for you, it's pleasure. You, you look to, to pleasure to sort of make you happy and you're just addicted to pleasure constantly on your iPad or on your phone or doing this hobby that makes you happy. Or maybe it's status or finances. There's so many ways that we seek to fill this void of joy with happiness through things in our world. But again, those things will come and go. They aren't secure. Sometimes they'll last for a while. Sometimes they'll last for years or maybe even decades. But none of them will endure the test of time. They just won't. And when we settle for those temporal things, we rob ourselves of the ability to nourish on the joy-producing hope of the gospel. Tim Keller says it like this. He says it's like eating candy right before dinner. I don't know how many of you have kids if your kids are like my kids, um, right about 4.30, like clockwork every day, there they are in the kitchen. It's 4.30, dinner's at 5.30, maybe 6, but here they are at 4.30 up in the kitchen, rummaging through the fridge, opening the cabinets and the cupboard, right? Dak's looking for some chips, PJ looking for some candy, Skylar looking for whatever she's looking for, right? And, and it's just like every day, and I always have to say, you're gonna ruin your dinner. If you eat that junk now, then the good healthy dinner we have prepared that's coming up soon is going to be ruined. Friends, this is how we too often operate when it comes to joy. We're like teenage kids, we settle for seeking the happiness of lesser things. We're eating the M&Ms of happiness and we're missing out on the salad and broccoli and chicken of joy. But listen to this, listen. God uses suffering to bring us back to the joy of finding our hope in him. He uses suffering to get us off the junk food and to get us to the dinner table. Suffering produces perseverance. This is Paul. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. 
Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Let me just walk you through this. Perseverance, it literally means under the weight. And the picture is one of a weightlifter who's holding a ton of weight on like, his or her shoulders. And, and they're standing under it. And, they, they, refu- and they, don't, they don't crumple under it. And they refuse to sort of throw it off or get out from under it. That's perseverance. To just stay under the weight. And then he says perseverance character. Character, the word here actually means proven character. The old New American Standard Bible translates it this way. Proven Character character that has gone through the furnace of affliction and had the impurities burned away. Now think about that. Character that's gone through the furnace of affliction and had the impurities burned away. See, the reason you as a follower of Jesus have joy, can have joy, can be joyful in the midst of suffering is because you can understand that God is using suffering to attack your circumstances and kick away the things that you are leaning on and trusting in and looking to for happiness so that you can turn and reorient your life towards the unfailing hope of God and Jesus. In a sense, what suffering does is it closes the fridge and it closes the cupboards at 4.30 and says, no, those are no longer available to you and now you're going to have to turn and find and put your hope find your joy and put your hope in dinner in Jesus Christ suffering forces us back to the place that we should be already and the image that I have is one of a rock climber Uh, and a rock climber who maybe on the surface says yeah I trust this rope for my safety I trust the safety rope to keep me alive but Really, the reality is that as this rock climber climbs through life, she gets better and better and better and better at scaling those those rocks and those giant cliffs, and she begins to trust more and more in herself. Over time, she starts to look to her own hands and her own fingers and her own grips and her own feet and her own shoes and her own toeholds for her safety and security. And she's she's not thinking about the rope anymore. She's not relying on the rope. Her faith and trust is not in the rope anymore. It's in herself. Until what happens? Until suffering comes, until struggles hit, until tragedy strikes and she slips off that rock and then all of a sudden now she's falling to her death when the rope catches her. And it's in that moment that she realizes, oh, my real hope, my real security, my ultimate hope The only hope that I can really depend on forever and in all moments is this rope. See, friends, Jesus is like the rope of our lives. He says you're gonna be tempted to rely on other things. You're gonna be tempted to seek momentary satisfaction and joy and trust in these other things. But I'm the only one who will always come through for you. you. I'm the only one who will always be there. The reason you can have joy in suffering is because suffering teaches you to hope and trust in the only one who will never let you down. And when you have that, friends, when you have that joy, when your joy is found there and your hope is placed there, then you can have confidence. Then you can climb through life with confidence. So let me encourage you, climb, 
Climb, church, climb. Climb with the peace of God. Climb knowing you are in grace. Climb with confident hope. Climb with God's love poured out in your hearts through the Holy Spirit and climb with joy in the midst of whatever lies ahead for you because God, our God, is using these light and momentary troubles to achieve for us, you and me, who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's the promise. That's the benefit of living into and through the power of the gospel. God bless you, friends. Go with God, huddle up this week, and lean in, lean in to be people of joy.